Well, I'm extra excited to preach to you this morning because this is my first time preaching from the new and improved Big Daddy pulpit. Got so much space up here, I'm going to have to get a bigger Bible. Well, as many of you know, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a few years and lived right on the on Capitol Hill. And one of my favorite things about living in Washington, D.C. was the National Mall. If you don't know what the National Mall is, it's the long stretch of green with the monuments and the museums, and it makes for a great run. Now, I was never really a runner, but I learned to like, not love, like running uh, on the National Mall because of the National Mall. I loved going past those beautiful monuments, and uh, it was a great run. I remember one spring day when I was doing the loop, kind of start back by the Supreme Court and, and run down past the World War II Memorial, uh, the Washington Monument, and then the halfway point is the Lincoln Memorial. And I was running with a mentor of mine who I worked with, and we were running up the steps to the Lincoln Memorial, and he stopped me about halfway up the steps and said, hold on, Daniel. Just let's take a minute here. And he said, Dan, you know what? If you set high goals for yourself and work hard to accomplish those goals, many years from now, there could be two guys running up the steps to your temple. Uh, My response was, well, let's get started building that temple. I I don't remember what I said. I was kind of taken aback. Um, uh, Thank you? (laughs) How do you respond to something like that? Even in the arrogance of my youth, I knew that I was never going to be the next Abraham Lincoln. Um, But we, we live in an age, don't we, where we're told that we can do anything, that we can be anyone. Don't let anybody get in the way of accomplishing your goals as long as you believe in yourself. I was told this from an early age in school. There's only one problem with this message, that you can do anything and that you can be anyone as long as you uh, believe in yourselves. There's only one problem. It's a lie. It is a lie. I'm here to encourage you with a little bit of a different message, a simple phrase that I think we can all live by. You can't do it. You can't do it. Now, this isn't meant to be a burn on my many friends who work at Nike. Uh, this, this message uh, can sound discouraging. However, as God's word is going to show us today, there's no better news. There's no better news. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles now to Galatians chapter 2. If you want to use one of the pew Bibles that we've provided for you, those black pew Bibles, uh, you can turn to page 1032. 1032, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Galatians 2, 15 through 21. As you're turning there, let me just tell you briefly why I've chosen this passage for us this morning. Next Sunday is Reformation Sunday, October 31st, where we celebrate what the Lord did in recovering the gospel in the church in Europe. And one of the things that we celebrate on Reformation Sunday is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. This is one of the classic justification by faith alone texts in all the Bible. So this is meant to prepare us 
for, for next Sunday. And again, justification, so kind of a religious theological word, it just means declared right in God's sight, declared right by God. Uh, before I read the text, I do want to say this is a dense and difficult text. I hope you've came caffeinated this morning, ready to dive into kind of a complicated argument. Um, but I hope as I read that you'll get the main idea, and I think you'll actually be helped by asking a question in your head as I read. A- answer, try to answer this question. How is a person justified by God? That how is a person justified, that is, declared right by God? Let's hear from God's word. Galatians 2, verse 15. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's go to the Lord and pray and ask us help. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we cannot do it. We cannot even hear and understand this text apart from your grace. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us by your Holy Spirit understand your word as we ought. Speak to us these words of love uh, that we might know you and see Christ And Lord, help us not just to hear, but to drink deeply from your word. And may we be changed as we meditate on what you have spoken for our good and your glory this morning. We recognize that you are sovereign over this time, and we pray now that you would come. That you would come and help us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Did you see how we are justified before God? Did you see that in the text? It doesn't come through the works of the law, but only by faith in Christ. Hopefully you saw that right at the beginning. We can't earn our justification. And once we receive God's righteousness through faith in Christ, we can't go back to living according to the law, but we must live by faith in Christ. Uh, Living... By faith in Christ is the admission that we can't do it. We can't do it. That is my main point this morning. You can't do it. And I have two points underneath that. One, you can't earn it. And two, you can't go back. One, you can't earn it. And two, you can't go back. Let's first consider 
Point number one, you can't earn it. Look back with me at Galatians 2, but let's go to the verse right before our text this morning to Galatians 2.14. But when I, that's Paul, saw that they, these were the Jewish Christians, were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? You know, here in Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we have dropped in on one of the more surprising texts in all the New Testament. What's surprising is not that Paul is calling out first century churches for, from, for deviating from the truth of the gospel. He does that from time to time. What is surprising is who he is calling out. Cephas. That's the apostle Peter. And Paul poses a question to Peter at the end of verse 14. Basically, the question is, hey, Peter, how come you're such a hypocrite? In verse 15, Paul acknowledges then that he and Peter are both Jews. They're insiders. They're not outside the covenant, but they are, they're not like the Gentile sinners, but they're insiders. So they have that going for them. They're Jews, born with the covenant promises. But then look at verse 16. What does it say? And yet, even though we were born Jews, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, justified means declared right by God. And right off the bat, Paul is reminding Peter and the church that being a Jew, keeping the Jewish law doesn't count for anything when it comes to the most important declaration over your life. Three times in verse 16, Paul tells us that we are not justified by the works of the law. Did you see the repetition there? Three times in verse 16, we are not justified by the works of the law. The last time that he tells us that we're not justified by the works of the law, he's quoting from Psalm 143, verse 2, which Travis read for us earlier in the service. What Paul's doing in quoting the Psalms is he's throwing the Jews' own holy book back at them. He's like, your own book proves this point. Our own book. And our hero, King David, he said it, that we can't be justified. No one alive is righteous before a holy God. What's implied is that the people of God were never a people of the law. Long before the law, before uh, Moses came and received the law on Mount Sinai, Abram heard the word of the Lord and he believed it and that belief in the Lord's promise was counted to Abram, who later became Abraham, as righteousness. It wasn't by the Lord giving Abraham a law to obey, but it was by believing the Lord's word. God's people have always been a people, not of the law, but of faith. Uh, Paul reminds Peter in verse 16, not the law, not the law, not the law. Thankfully, he tells us not just how we're not justified, but he tells us how we are. Paul says, 
in three different ways, or three, three different times, faith in Christ, believed in Christ, faith in Christ. Why is Paul so repetitive in one verse? Why does he need to tell us three times? Why does he need to tell Peter three times? Well, the German monk and Protestant reformer Martin Luther said it this way. I think he probably got this from Paul. Martin Luther said, Every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. Every week they forget it. What does that look like, though? What does it mean to forget how we are justified before God? Especially if you have been here at Henson for any length of time, you know the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We know this intellectually. But I think that often we pull a Peter and we're inconsistent in applying this glorious truth to our lives and the lives of others. Forgetting the truths of verse 16 today may look a lot like what Paul calls Peter out for in verse 14. What I mean is, don't we sometimes compel others to keep a standard that we ourselves haven't kept? I mean, in a just practical way, if you have kids, we sometimes rag on our kids for all their screen time. But where do, you, where do we think they learn that habit? More seriously, often we condemn the world in our hearts, online, in conversations to others. We condemn the world for homosexuality, gender confusion, greed. And yet, we ourselves have been sexually immoral. We ourselves are confused what it means to be, to have biblical manhood and womanhood in the church, in the home. We ourselves obsess about our investments or that next big purchase that we want to make. Now, I recognize that in a room this size that there are probably many here that aren't believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you come here as you're not a Christian. And I want to welcome you here. You are most welcome here. But I must warn you, you are among hypocrites. You are among hypocrites. We Christians call other people out for the very things that we ourselves do. And then we think we'll be safe from God's judgment because, you know, we're Christians. We know the Bible. We have our theology straight. But we are guilty. So whether you're a hypocritical Christian or a non-Christian here today, we need to hear one truth clearly from Galatians 2:15 and 16. And that truth is this. We can't earn it. We can't earn God's favor. But there's some good news. Someone else earned it for us. One of the most important words that we see in Galatians 2:16 is the little word in in. You know, everyone has faith. First century Jews were tempted to place their faith in the works of the law. Uh, today, we may place our faith in a, in a good life, or our faith might be in the fact that, well, there probably isn't a God, so judgment isn't coming. That's faith. 
Or maybe we place our faith in, compared to the guy next to me, compared to my neighbor, I'm doing okay. And God will probably grade on a curve, because that's how things work down here. But the good news is that that is not how it works. Christ came and earned our justification. That is the son earned the, this is my son. With him, I'm well pleased. That was the word of the father on the son's life. As I already said, God's people have only ever been justified one way. And that's through faith. And that faith must be in the word of God, which is Christ. This humbles us to the ground, though. This, we like to earn our justification. But faith in Christ is the hand that reaches out and grasps a hold of Christ as our only hope, just as we've been singing this morning already. So how will you grasp a hold of Christ by faith this week? How will you grow in the humility that you can't earn God's favor no matter how hard you try? Well, Paul says later in Romans chapter 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So friend, even right now, are you listening Are you listening to the word of Christ and his word? So often the word of Christ passes through our minds like water through a pipe, leaving us unchanged. However, I would encourage us this morning, don't let it just pass through you. Bottle it up. Drink deeply of the word of Christ like someone who's dying of thirst. To extend this metaphor a little bit more, consider this. If you're really thirsty, do you really care about your cup, the drinking receptacle that you have that holds the water? Is that what you're putting your hope in, to quench your thirst? No, it's, it's the water inside the cup, isn't it, that quenches our thirst. And yet, I think in the Christian life, All too often, we become preoccupied with the cup. In other words, we focus on our faith. We compare our faith or our cups to other people. But the point is not the cup. The point is what is in the cup, and that is Christ. So what is in your cup? Is it the the word of Christ? Is that what you're placing your faith in this morning? Christ Jesus is the living water that quenches our thirst. Seeing him drinking deeply of his word will help us see that we can't earn God's favor. Faith in Christ is recognizing our great thirst and drinking of him deeply in his word. You know, I think this is really helpful to remember, again, in a church like ours, where several of us are really into theology. But knowing more about our faith doesn't lead to justification. Knowing more about our faith doesn't lead to justification. Even spiritual maturity doesn't make us more right in God's sight. You know, we can't earn our justification with more knowledge or more faith. 
any more than the Jews in the first century could earn God's favor through the works of the law. You know, justification comes through faith in Christ. So don't focus on your cup. Listen to the word of Christ, for Christ alone will quench our thirsty souls. Hearing his word will help us to come to him humbly, recognizing that we can't earn his favor. So how will you drink deeply of the word of Christ this next week? What's your plan? How will you help someone else drink deeply and remember that our hope is in Christ and not in our own efforts? How are you going to help someone else remember that? Because we forget that all the time. That might be something good to talk about over lunch. There's one more way that I'd like to encourage us here under point one to grow in our humble admission that we can't earn God's justification, but that our hope is in Christ alone. And that's repentance. I think faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. I think all too often we would prefer to justify ourselves than to be justified by a righteousness that comes from outside of us, an alien righteousness, as Martin Luther said. I think we see this all the time in how we don't apologize when we sin against others or just in the way that we apologize. Uh, Recently, I was convicted of speaking in a condescending way uh, to a friend. Uh, But it took me several days uh, to own up to that sin and apologize for it. You know why? Because I was justifying myself. I was thinking, you know what? So-and-so has no idea how hard it is to be a pastor. (laughs) This person has no idea some of the stress that I've been under. In other words, me speaking in a condescending way to this brother was justified by me. Not by Christ. You know, I thought I'd give God a break from justifying me and justify myself yet again. But looking to the justification that comes by faith in Christ will mean coming to an end of justifying ourselves in everyday life, won't it? We will fully own our sin against others and against God. And instead of excusing that sin or minimizing it, Faith in Christ looks to take God's side against that sin, to go to war against that sin, to confess it. It means asking someone for forgiveness without feeling like you need to explain your sin in in a way that doesn't make you look as bad. So let's leave the justifying to God. Husbands, it's not bad to buy your wife flowers or chocolate if you after you sinned against her but you can't earn her affection back through gifts you can't buy it we can't buy off our loved ones if we sin against them we and we can't earn our way back into god's good graces with our good deeds so do you find yourself buckling down on good works after falling into sin god isn't impressed god is not impressed What God values is a broken and contrite heart before him. He's looking for those whose only hope of righteousness is in his son. 
Paul tells us three times in one verse, we are not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ. We need to hear it three times. We need to hear it every day because we tend to go back to living according to law. But there's no life in the law. And that brings us to our second and final point. We can't go back or you can't go back. Verses 17 through 21. It's a way of a refresher. Remember in verse 15, Paul said to Peter, you know, you and I, we aren't Gentile sinners. They were Jews who took pride that they had and knew the law. But here in verse 17, Paul argues that the very law which they once looked to to bring life actually condemns them. It brings death. For according to the law, Jews are found to be sinners, just like the Gentiles. Isn't that what we see in verse 17? But then Paul anticipates an objection to his argument in verse 17. I'll put verse 17 in my own words. If you remove the law and everyone is now outside of God's covenant as sinners, is Jesus then a champion of sin? If you remove the law, we're outside of God's covenant as sinners. Is Jesus a champion of sin? In one way or another, I think that's the question that verses 18 through 21 will answer. And I think verses 18 through 21 give us at least three reasons why Christ doesn't promote sin and why the law can't bring life. So verses 18 through 21, we have three reasons. So here under point two, I have three subpoints. I've reframed Paul's argument in these verses for our lives today. You can't go back. Once you've been justified by faith in Christ, you can't go back to the law, your old ways, or just like the Jews couldn't go back to the living under the law after they've been justified by faith. So the first reason that we can't go back to the law is in verse 18. The law shows that we're lawbreakers. That's the first reason we can't go back to the law. The law shows us that we're actually sinners. Look at verse 18 again. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. The things that Paul tore down is justification by the works of the law. That's what he's tearing down. Do you see that in verse 18? That's what he's talking about. He tears that down in order to make room for justification by faith in Christ, as we consider in verse 16. But if you go back to your old ways of law-keeping, all that is left for you is to be convicted under the law, to be convicted as a lawbreaker in the final courtroom of God. That's, I think that's the logic of verse 18. I think this is how it manifests in our lives today. We love to pretend. We love to pretend that we are in control. We seek to manage our sin. We like to live according to rules, many of which are biblical. You find these rules in God's word. You know, I think often we even come to church like preacher. Tell us what to do. Tell us what to do this week and we'll do it. We're like the people of Israel at the end of Deuteronomy. Like, all these things we will do. There's only one problem. We can't do it. We can't do it. Good luck living as if you're in control. Hasn't God been graciously trying to get our attention in all kinds of ways that we are not in control? And that we can't manage our sin? But rather, sin has a way of managing us, not the other way around. 
So that's the first reason that we can't go back to the law. Because the law shows us that we are lawbreakers. It presses heavy down on us, showing us our sin. The second reason we can't go back to the law, and the longest reason, is in verses 19 through 20. We can't go back to the law because in Christ's death we died to the law. In Christ's death we died to the law. Look at verses 19 and 20 again with me. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you look closely at verses 19 and 20, you might be surprised. Shouldn't the subject of verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20 be Christ? You know, that's, that's the gospel. Christ died. Christ died for us. But Paul's focus is I, that's Paul, died with Christ. Paul is saying here that he died to his old way of living and that because of the cross, there's no going back. You know, this is a hard pill for us to swallow. Uh, We like the life in Christ part. That's what we like to talk about. But dying, being crucified with him, doesn't always feel very good. Being crucified with Christ and no longer living according to law kind of feels like drowning. Feels like we have lost all control because we have lived according to our own terms for so long. We've lived according to our own terms for so long. Our confidence has been in our control for as long as we can remember. But when Christ was crucified on the cross, everything changes. Because at the cross, we see grace instead of law. Love instead of control. Life instead of death. Christ's love gives us the life that we were seeking to gain for ourselves on our own terms. And it comes not on something, based on something that we earn, but as a gift of grace. And we don't like that. We don't like that. It's death to our pride, our independence, our autonomy, our control. It's humbling to be shown grace when we know we deserve judgment, but we think we can work our way out of it. We think we can, we think we can cut a deal. You know, I think a picture of this, a picture of this kind of grace rather than law shows up sometimes in our relationships. Uh, particularly, I think we see a picture of this in the parent-child relationship. My mom reminded me this week of a story about one of my siblings who will go unnamed. Uh, All my siblings are walking with the Lord by God's grace today, but my unnamed brother was living as a wild child in his senior year of high school. He was caught drinking on his high school campus. The school asked him, please don't come back. Don't, they didn't have online school back then either. He was asked not to come back to school. Now, of course, my parents weren't very happy with my brother there his senior year of high school, but it didn't change their love for him. On, on his 18th birthday, they took him out for dinner, uh, and then they, they brought him home, and my mom said to my brother, uh, it sounds like there's an intruder in the basement. 
And so my brother went down with a, with a baseball bat. Thankfully, he didn't go down swinging because my, my parents had arranged a big surprise birthday party for him, and all his friends were down in the basement just weeks after he had essentially been expelled from school. Amid my brother's failure, my parents still affirmed their love for him by throwing him that surprise party. Now, for some of us, that kind of grace, that kind of love is foreign to us because we are so used to a transactional kind of love. Perhaps even with your parents, you have always thought that love needs to be earned by your good performance or behavior. But here in Galatians 2.20, we have an invitation to something far better than that kind of transactional relationship. Particularly if you are not yet a Christian, I'd invite you to listen to God's word in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes, God offers you to die, but out of the jaws of death, there is eternal life in Christ. Today, The Lord invites you to no longer live for yourself, but to live for him and to know a love that is better than life, a love that conquers death. Christ living in you and you living for God is the only way to truly live. But it will require you to die to your pride, to come to an end of yourself And to confess that you need a savior. That you can't do it. The Bible calls this repentance and faith. And all who live by faith will know the resurrection life of Christ. So non-Christian friend, will you consider accepting this gift of life that Christ offers? Will you die to yourself? Die with Christ? so that you might live. He showed his love for you by giving himself to you. He gave everything so that you might not bear the curse of your sin. You know, we would love here at Henson to talk to you today about what it would look like for you to come to an end of yourself and to trust in Christ, to put your faith in him. I'll be standing at the door after the service or talk to someone who you saw up on stage earlier. Nothing would bring us greater joy than to introduce you to this kind of life. You know, if you're already a Christian, when it comes to a relationship with God, we're left with a question, why would we opt for a relationship of law when he offers us love? Why would we opt for law when he offers us such love? Once we've known Christ and his love, don't go back to law. For in Christ's death we died to the law so that we might live for God. That's the second reason, that we can't go back to the law. The third and final reason that we can't go back to the law is because if we go back to the law, we set aside the grace of God. We see this in verse 21. 
I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I think this final verse sums it all up. If we could earn our righteousness through the law, then why did Christ have to come at all? Why did he have to die? If by our religious activity we could earn God's eternal, well done, good and faithful servant, why did he send his son to die for sinners like us? I think this is a great place to conclude because as I look around, we're a bunch of religious people. We're a bunch of church people for the most part. And the gospel of grace and justification by faith alone cuts us all down to size, all down to the same level. If we are truly justified by faith alone in Christ's death, if it is grace all the way from first to last, an undeserved gift for undeserving sinners like us, then why are we so tempted to think that God will accept us based on our good works? based on our spiritual performance, based on our theological acumen, based on our charitable giving, our church attendance, or our spiritual maturity relative to the other guy. The cross cuts us all down to the same size. And when we seek to commend ourselves to ourselves and to others, and most of all to God, by the things we do, we set aside God's grace. We say the cross. Well, we say to God for the cross, thanks but no thanks. I'm doing fine on my own. And we functionally mock the grace of Christ. All too often we can become like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who prays, maybe not God, I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector, but God, I thank you that I'm not like the addicts, the liberals, the corrupt politicians, homosexuals, or even that person in the pew down the row from me who I've noticed only comes to church about once a month. Henson, how can we humble ourselves under the Lord's mighty hand and pray instead like the tax collector? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This must be our prayer every day because we wake up every morning, reset back to our default setting. And unfortunately for us, that default setting is justifying ourselves and making the cross just a little add-on to our lives. You know, sure, the cross is really helpful for those really bad sinners. You know, the cross was great back when I was living in sin before I was a Christian But now I have my ticket to heaven, so I'm good. All too often, this is what Paul will go on to say in the rest of the book of Galatians. After coming to Christ by grace, we continue by law and call into question that we are really living for God in Christ. Friends, being a good person will not commend us to God. Being part of a healthy church will not commend us to God. Having a biblical church polity, for those of you who know what that means, won't commend us to God. Doing the pastoral residency won't commend us to God. Being a a women's Bible study teacher won't commend you to God. Going to seminary won't commend you to God or earn points with him. Being a complementarian or a Calvinist won't commend you to God. Giving all your money to this church will not 
commend you to God. Avoiding the really bad sins will not commend you to God. Certainly being a Republican won't commend you to God. You can't do it. Can't be righteous before God no matter how hard you try. And you can't earn his approval. Can't earn God's favor by tightening up your bootstraps one more time and trying harder tomorrow. Our only hope for being declared righteous before a holy God is in Christ alone. So don't go back to the law after coming to Christ by grace. Go back to the cross instead. Every day, die to your pride that you may truly live in his grace. You know, just like my mentor on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, people will try to convince you, you'll try to convince yourself that you can do it. If you just believe in yourself, if you live a good life, you can please God. If you'll only be kind, just be kind. Obey the golden rule. But we can't earn God's favor. Can't go back to a law that only brings death. Instead, Christ invites you to die to that old way to die to commending yourself to God, and to come and live a life of faith, not in yourself, but the one who conquered death by his love. So I'd invite you to come and drink deeply of his love. Drink deeply of his love this week. Trust his declaration over you is grace, not law, in Christ Jesus. Die to your pride in thinking that you can do better and live in Christ today. So friends, will you? Will you live for God in Christ today? Will you live in the humility that you can't do it? Praise God for Jesus Christ, who has done it. Let's go to the Lord and thank him. Heavenly Father, we are astounded by your grace, that you would show to people like us who are so prone to wander. Lord, we give you thanks for sending your Son, for giving him so that we might live, so that we might know your love. We thank you that when we were miserable, poor, and weak, when we were in our blood, unable to do anything, you had mercy on us. Lord, we pray that we would continue to walk in that grace, in that mercy each day, praising you, Father, for the work of your Son and the work of your Spirit to convict us that when we could not justify ourselves. You sent your righteousness, your righteous son, so that he could do it for us and declare us righteous before you that we might have hope. Lord, may this truth live in our hearts. May we encourage one another with this gospel message. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.